Well, today I'm going to be talking about joy. And, um, you know, we live in a nation that really in large part was founded as a social experiment in the pursuit of happiness. And I can prove this to you, okay? Uh, If you'll take a look here, our Declaration of Independence, it says that we have certain unalienable rights, right? And among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Okay, life guaranteed, liberty guaranteed, happiness, you are free to search for it as you search for unicorns or honest politicians or whatever else you might think is fun, but it's not a guarantee, right? Life, liberty, guaranteed, pursuit of happiness, have fun with that. You know, and so we are a nation that has for a few hundred years undertaken this experiment of the pursuit of happiness, trying to find out what will make us happy. And people tend to look in two places. They look in culture and they look in religion. So we're going to take a look at culture first. And when you look at culture, you'll find that culture has for us new processes, new possessions, new places, new people, all of which we are told if you go in this direction or these directions, at the end, there's joy and you'll be happy. So we'll start first with processes, okay? And it seems like every talk show host, late night guy, guru, magazine has, you know, their three steps to joy, their five steps to joy, their 11 steps to joy. Or Men's Health has found 759 steps to the perfect life. I don't know about you, but 759 seems like a, a little bit a lot. I mean, what, the Old Testament has 600 commandments, so Men's Health has more rules than the Bible. All right, and, you know, basically, if you can read this whole thing, you can find out it's basically about how to be an idiot, breaking the commandments, get a big screen TV, and take advantage of women. So it's not exactly the perfect life. In addition, it doesn't say anything about God, Jesus, religion, heaven, hell, Bible, you know, nothing. And uh, maybe some of you have tried that. You said, okay, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do these seven steps, or these 11 steps, or these 759 steps, and it didn't quite work. So then what we tend to move on to is possessions and what you'll find in advertising is every ad you look at there's always someone smiling right and the subtle inference there is that if you buy our junk that you'll be happy so for example maybe what you need is some new undergarments you know maybe that's the source of your grief (laughs) you know and i'll tell you there's some truth there's some truth to that you know, and I'm just going to encourage some of you single guys out there, maybe you want to pray about that, maybe some new undergarments, that's what you need. That can really uh, make your life a little bit better, but it won't quite bring you the entire pursuit of happiness. So maybe we're going to move on to another possession, like, uh, you know, maybe you're a lady, or uh, I guess a really confused man, uh, and you want to go and buy yourself a dress. All right, because a dress, that'll make you happy. Look how happy they are. Ah. But maybe that doesn't work, so you're going to move on to something else. Some jewelries, Right? Ladies, all right, get some jewelry, a new watch, new ring, new earring. Don't say anything, hon. Just no amens there. <laughs> so she's obviously very happy. The thing you don't see is uh, her boyfriend over in the corner. He's got a nervous twitch because he can't afford all that stuff. Makes him sad. She's very happy, though. But maybe what you need is you need some new technology. You know, something to give you the latest celebrity gossip news. So when you're thinking of your depressing life, you can look down at your phone and go, eh. So-and-so's in rehab. I guess I'm not doing too bad. You know? But maybe that doesn't work and you need uh, a new product. A new product like this. New Crunchy brand. Which apparently is better than old school computer programmer Crunchy brand. 
but it does come with the strange side effect of making you bow-legged. I don't know. That's just there. But he does seem <laughs> scarily happy about his brand. You know. Ugh. So, in pursuit of joy in culture, it takes us to new processes. If that doesn't work, it takes you to possessions. And if that doesn't work, well, maybe the answer is found in a new place. You know, maybe you're just in the wrong place. Maybe you should instead go to, for example, the bar. Right? You'll go there, get drunk, meet some other miserable people. That'll make you happy. But if that doesn't work, then maybe you could try somewhere warmer, like Hawaii. Hallelujah. I'll go, Lord. Send me. I'll go. I'm willing. But if that doesn't work, then where are you going to go to make you happy? You're going to Vegas, baby, right? Because whatever happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Unless it's itchy, which is typically what it says in the fine print down there. That's, that's just free to you guys. Not on satellite, so I can say some extra things here. I'm here to give. I'm a giver. So if that doesn't work, then maybe what you need is some new people. Right, some happy people, some funny people, hilarious people. And who are the funniest people in our culture? They're the comedians. And I love comedy. And the comedians must have it figured out because they seem to actually make a living making other people happy. But what you'll find is interesting is when God's not in the mix and they're just out there and it's just all about happy, happy, oftentimes the people who seem like they're the happiest are oftentimes the least happy. Because just the laughing and the fun without God in there it doesn't work. And I can prove it to you here. We got some comedians. There's a Mitch Hedberg. I don't know if everyone's listening to his stuff, but he's actually pretty hilarious. But he's dead of a drug overdose. You know, or how about uh, Belushi, right? He was hilarious, but he's dead of a drug overdose. And then you got uh, Chris Farley, who actually looks hilarious, but he was hilarious, man. He had the whole, uh, you ever seen that sketch, re- uh, sketch he did in Saturday Night Live or it's always, when you're living in a van down by the river, right? Or the fat man in a little coat, like that. That's hilarious, but uh, he's also dead. Drug overdose. You know, all of this to say that in culture, it's not the answer to the pursuit of happiness. That you may try different processes, you may obtain different possessions, you may go different places, you may even laugh with different people, but in the end, it probably isn't going to make you all that happy. And so what people do is they tend to transition the pursuit of happiness from culture into religion. So that'll be our next category. And religion begins with sort of a pop psychology with a little bit of God overlay and sort of a New Age Oprahism. She's retired, right? Oprahism thing in there. It's very popular, but it's just sort of a, a way to find your happiness in your inner self. You know, what makes me happy? And uh, there's several magazines and talk shows and stuff out there. They've got this general spiritual stuff in them and uh there's this one which is amazing if you guys can read that in the bottom corner there it says paris hilton's seven spiritual lessons <laughs> you guys all know who paris hilton is all right just let that sink in for a second paris hilton seven spiritual lessons uh, might i just submit to you that if you are in a place spiritually where you're like paris help you are officially in a bad place spiritually, okay? There should be like a warning on the end of that little disclaimer at the bottom, not actual spiritual advice or something like that. That's awesome. Uh, anyway, uh, further, uh, the interior story here, it has uh, your action plan to joy. Again, six steps. And what I find is interesting is not one of them says anything about God. 
You know, because spirituality oftentimes has nothing to do with God. But what it does say is point one, what makes your heart leap? Which I hope is not cannibalism or terrorism, because step two says find inspiration. So uh, Jeffrey Dahmer or Osama bin Laden, for example, would be your inspiration there. So uh, hopefully not, that's not what it is. But basically this whole thing, it's all about that there really isn't a God, okay? And it's just you. But yeah, if there is a God, then he just exists to do what you tell him to do. So figure out what you like, tell God to do it, and then God has to do what you tell him to do. And God's your errand boy who runs around doing what you want him to do. And that's what spiritually minded people tend to be. You know, it's about me. It's not about God. It's about what I want. It's not about what he wants. It's about what I tell him to do and not about him telling me what to do. And so some of you may have tried some sort of vague general spirituality and didn't go so well. So maybe now you've considered trying on Christianity as a specific form of religion. And we'll move further into Christianity. Before I hit that, there is a new thing in Christianity. It's basically telling you that joy is actually found in the same place that culture and spirituality tell us. You know, it's basically about get rich, get healthy, be happy. You know, health, wealth, prosperity. Now in this, what we're saying basically is that as Christians, we have nothing to offer that is any different from any other culture or other religions. You know, now it's okay to desire stuff. I mean, God wants you to desire good things. He asks you to pray for things, right? But if you think that your joy is going to be found in those things, if your happiness is dependent on whether or not you get stuff, then you're never going to be happy, you know? And it's, it's actually... Because what it can turn into, it, it can turn into discontent. And I, I think a lot of us get to that point where we expect so much from God and expect our lives to be a certain way and this should happen and that should happen it doesn't happen and then your joy is just sucked out that's because you've made it about stuff and not about God you know I mean for example you take uh, Solomon you guys ever Solomon in the Bible or anyone watch Indiana Jones also make that connection there <laughs> rich guy always looking for his temple uh, anyway he uh, this guy he had all the money he ever wanted all the power, had like thousands of women he could sleep with. He, he, he had seemingly everything. And then he writes a book in a Bible. Does anyone here remember what the first line of that book is? Meaningless, meaningless. It is all meaningless. And I know some of you out there sitting there thinking, yeah, right, give me all that stuff and I'll be writing good times, good times, all good times. You know, but, but he, he figured something out. It's that stuff, he had everything. It's meaningless. It means nothing. You know, and, and you'll find that having things and the ability to enjoy things are two different things. You know, no different than a can of peaches and a can opener, right? So think about this for a second, okay? If, if God's plan for you is that you just always prosper, you always... You'll be rich, more money you know what to do with, all this stuff. Then what does that say about Jesus who was born in what? A rich family or a poor family? It's a poor family. Right? He worked a common job for 30 years. He spent three years in ministry, flat, broke, homeless, sometimes hungry. And when it came time to pay his taxes, like a lot of us, he couldn't afford it. How about this issue of relationships? You know, Did Jesus ever have any strained relationships? You know, because I heard a televangelist 
once talking, and I'll do my best televangelist voice for you guys so that you can recreate the experience of being there and seeing that with me. Uh, and I got to get that smile right because I got that. God wants you to have great relationships, and you need to be a total victor and winner. And you never point with your finger, right? It's always this. Politicians and those guys. That's a little too intense. Well, think about this. If all your relationships just always need to be good, what what about Jesus? What Anyone read the Bible, read the story of Jesus, where Jesus had his, basically his family disown him, his friends abandoned him, Judas betrayed him, the crowd screamed, crucify him. I don't mean to overstate my case here, but perhaps there were days that Jesus had occasional relational strain. You know, just perhaps. Uh, but, but how about the issue of pain? Right? Because, I mean, God never wants to be, you should, you should never have pain. Well, did Jesus ever suffer physical pain? I mean, some of you have constant chronic physical pain. You know, and, and Jesus, he was beaten, his beard plucked, a crown of thorns put on his head, scourged, beaten, whipped within literally the near point of his life. And then after that, they nailed him to a cross between two thieves. You know what that is? That's pain. That's excruciating, horrendous physical pain. What about the issue of uh, uh, victory? You know, you hear you know that God doesn't want you to be a victim. He, he wants to be a victor, you know. Well, was Jesus ever victimized? You know, I mean, some of you have been victimized. You've been raped, abandoned, beaten, molested, abused, neglected, hated, despised, betrayed. You know, it happens all the time. And, and, and Jesus was a victim. He had false accusations, false witness, false trial, false condemnation, false execution. That's a victim. And what about, you know, despair? If, if, if you really know God and you really trust him, then you'll be a person who doesn't have any anxiety. You'd be fine. He <laughs> Did Jesus? Do you guys remember the night before Jesus died? Um, he was in the garden and he was praying and he was so stressed out that he couldn't, act, he couldn't sleep. And it says he physically sweated drops of blood. That is unbelievable anxiety. You know, here's my point. A point. My point is that a relationship with God is it's not just all lollipops and skipping while singing hymns. There are days that are very, very hard and very, very difficult and very, very painful. And then the pursuit of joy, if all we read is the first two chapters of Genesis, chapter one, God made everything. Chapter two, it was good. The end. We're not reading the whole story. You know, chapter 3, sin came in. It messed some things up. You know, there's a word in there used that says toil. It'll work. It's going to be tough. You know, but the thing is, if, if, you, if you compare everything, if you compare culture, you know, its tra- trajectory, you know, and sin, you know, sin starts out pretty fun, but then it gets not so fun, and then you die and go to hell. Not, not really not fun. And then you just take the spirituality, religion kind of thing. It starts off not fun. <laughs> so many rules and this and that. And then it gets even worse. And then you go die and go to hell. Yeah, bigger bummer. You know, Christianity, you start, and it's like this new life. And it starts pretty good. And as you grow in maturity as a Christian, things get better. And it doesn't even mean the things around you have changed, but something inside of you. And then you die and go to heaven. Hey, win. So my encouragement is let's 
look at this third one, you know, because a relationship with God, it's about following Jesus. And that's what Christianity is all about. You know, Paul calls it being a servant of Christ Jesus. So if you want to know what it means to be a servant of Christ Jesus, you've got to understand two things. Who's Jesus? What does it mean to be a servant? So we're going to take them in that order, Jesus and servant. So Jesus, he is our great God. You know, he came to earth to be our humble servant. So in the Old Testament, in Isaiah 42, God the Father says that my servant is coming, which is Jesus, to bring salvation. In Isaiah 52 and 53, it has this amazing series of prophecies of how specifically Jesus would serve us, that he would live without sin, that first of all, he would come from a humble beginning, a poor family, that he would live a simple life, that he would have no beauty or majesty in him, that we would be attracted to him, that he would look normal and average and regular, and he would live simply and humbly without sin, and that ultimately he would be betrayed, that he would have our sin placed upon him, and he would take upon himself, it says, the iniquities of us all, that he would be put to death with two thieves, and that he would be crucified with the wicked. It also goes on to say that he then would die and be buried in a rich man's tomb, and that then he would resurrect from death and would see the light of life and be satisfied. And he would be our humble, suffering servant through his life, death, burial, and resurrection, bringing our gift of salvation. So that's what it says about him in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, Jesus comes and he tells us that he is, in fact, a humble servant. And see, in this, I want you to see how Jesus was a countercultural rebel. You know, I know in our society today, you think rebel as being, you know, this big sinner. But I'd be honest with you, everyone's sinning. So not that much of a rebel anymore. You know, I mean, the fact is, if you're just drunk, naked, driving around on a loud motorcycle chasing women, I mean, everyone's doing that. That's old hat, you know, all that sinning. You want to learn to be a rebel? I got some ideas to be a rebel. Get a job. Yeah. Cut your grass. Be quiet. <laughs> That's the only rebellion there is left. Everyone seems to be doing everything else. You know, and I want to encourage you guys to be countercultural rebels like Jesus. You know, and Jesus rebelled against culture and religion by coming as a humble servant because, you know, both culture and religion tell you not to serve but to be served. And not to be humble but to be proud. And Jesus came in humility to serve. He says this in Matthew uh, chapter 20, verse 28. Uh, he says it himself. He says, the Son of Man, uh, which is a title from Daniel about Jesus being God, it says, the Son of Man came not to be what? Served. But, you know, we live in a service-based economy. And many of you guys have service-based jobs where you get paid, you know, so people can come in and act like they're God, right? You work in a coffee shop, some guy walks in there and says, like, I wanted two shots in this thing. Yeah, I got your two shots right here, buddy. You know. But culture that says, in culture it tells us that if you make enough money, and people will serve you. And that's what the goal is. Right? But Jesus says, I didn't come, though I am God, to be served, but to what? To serve. God came to serve. This is absolutely unbelievable that God came down here to be serve us and not, not to be served. And, and Jesus says, and to give my life as a ransom or the payment for sin for many. And see, Jesus went to the cross and he served us. And Jesus served others during his life. He fed people, he cared for people, he healed people, he even washed the feet of his own disciples, which was the job of a poor slave. And he even washed the feet of Judas Iscariot, a man who betrayed him and ultimately really murdered him. And there was no one as humble as Jesus. And there's no one 
who has served us as well as Jesus. And, and Jesus is still alive today. He hears our prayers. He answers our prayers. He lives to intercede for us, is what it says in Hebrews. And Jesus is still to this very day, though he is our great God and Savior in glory, he remains likewise a humble servant. Now, in saying that, that is the great clue to understanding joy. It's, it's not to be found in pride, but in humility. It's not to be found in being served, but in serving. And nothing in culture or religion will tell you that. Only Jesus will. All right, so, so that's who Jesus is. So I can understand what it means to be a servant of Jesus. So what does it mean to be a servant? Well, being a servant uh, in Christianity, Christianity basically means to be a servant, be a follower, be a slave of Christ Jesus. Okay, so that means that Jesus is your master. It means that he's in charge. It means you do what he says. And the one that you listen to and the one that you follow and obey, and additionally it means that you're going to be doing whatever your master's doing. Right? You'll be serving wherever your master is serving, and you're not going to freak out if... Your life is worse than or equally as difficult as your master. You know, not many slaves sit there and go, well, how come you got the big house and I got to do so much work? You know, it's like, well, you're the slave. That's how it goes. You know, Jesus suffered, so you'll suffer. Jesus had difficult days, so you're going to have difficult days. Jesus' friends betrayed him. It's probably going to happen to you. Jesus died. Hate to break it to you. We're all probably going to die. If Jesus is your master and you're his servant, then your life is going to look a lot like his. That's just how it is. You know, so don't freak out. Oh my gosh, I'm having a bad day. Well, you work for a dude that they killed. You know, so expect it. Almost anticipate. There'll be some tough days. So then what is the key to joy? Well, the key is being a servant of Jesus. And that's the rebel's secret to joy. And that's the issue why so many people are unhappy because you know, no one ever thought to look into servanthood as a key to freedom and to look into humility as the key to joy. You know, we spend so much of our life and so much of our time chasing stuff. It's easy to get thrown off a track. And so it's good to refocus back into that. And, and maybe you've never made a commitment to Jesus before. You know, well, here's the thing about being a servant of Jesus Christ. It's entirely voluntary. <laughs> you know, you're going to need to decide who your master is. You will need to decide what your identity is. You will need to decide what and who you are enslaved to. And I, I honestly, I so much want that to be Jesus. You know, and I can assure you of this. That Jesus is the best master. He loves, he serves, he cares, he hears, he gives, he lives, he dies, he rises, he intercedes, he prepares a place, and he is coming again. And I want you to be able to today become a Christian, to give your sin to Jesus, to ask him to forgive you, to walk away from the pursuit of happiness and sin or religion and instead come to Jesus and to be a servant of Jesus. And I assure you of this, it is the only way to have true everlasting joy. Thank you very much. It is the only way. Ushers, if you go ahead and come on up and get ready for communion. It is the only way. So have, have you been doing the steps? Have you been trying the different things that, that will allow you to get this joy or happiness that you believe that you should have or you desire? Well, maybe, maybe that's where you're at today. Or maybe you've been coming to church 
maybe your whole life even, and you've just been trying out of your own power, man, I'm going to make this work somehow, some way. But as Pastor Phil had talked, no go is not working. There may be days where you feel, yeah, I got it going on, and then bam, it hits. Jesus said he is the only way to the Father. He is the only way that your sins can be forgiven and that you can have this unspeakable joy, joy that cannot be described. doesn't mean perfect. It just means a joy knowing that God, who created everything, has, one, taken away your sins, and, two, loves you. So here's going to ask, depending on where you're at, whether you've done the step thing, you tried that, or you've just been at church trying, or, or wherever you're at, I'll give you a chance today to get things right. Ask God, hey, take my sins away. Talks about confessing that Jesus is Lord and believing that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved, i.e., your sins will be washed away. And this joy, Pastor Phil speaks of, becomes you. You become a new creation. So let's go ahead and bow your heads. Pray along with me as, uh, as we do this. You can go ahead and repeat. Dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. And that you love me so much that you went to the cross and you took my punishment. I'm asking you today to come into my life and forgive my sins. I want you to be my master. I surrender myself to you. Amen.